Hello and welcome back to the Between Two Worlds podcast. You may have noticed that there has been a little hiatus between episode three and episode four. So thanks for bearing with me. On a personal level, I've been going through IVF. I've just started my first, well, I just did my first cycle, just completed my first cycle last month and wanted to be gentle um, on myself and make sure that I wasn't trying to ask too much of my body and mind as I went through something that was really big and at times really challenging definitely and yeah at times more challenging than I had imagined that it would be and at times almost beautiful I don't know it's I think I'm still trying to find the right words for that experience also I want to just mention I I don't think I could be authentic and honest with you all today if I didn't place this recording in a bit of context so I'm currently in Ubud in Bali but overnight the results of the referendum in Australia came through if you're listening from another country basically this was a move to enshrine the voices of Indigenous people in Australia into our constitution and give them a voice in Parliament and that did not go through and I like I have a lot of respect for the right of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to vote a sovereign no and I I get that but it just feels a bit heavy today just this idea that other Australians who may have been more recent visitors to these lands don't see this as at least a more hopeful step forward and at least a less hurtful step forward. I know that the voice that was proposed isn't perfect but I hoped that we were ready for something better, anything better. and it's hard to imagine how painful this might be for those Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who really did want this voice and wanted to see other Australians stepping up and saying we want better for you so sitting with that today and I'm feeling that as I'm speaking and I'm I'm emotional and this is a bit raw that I could go back and edit this out and start again with a shiny and more polished introduction but I kind of promised myself if I was going to do this podcast and and put my voice out there that I had to do it in a way that was authentic and yeah that's what I'm doing so acknowledging the complexities around that and that there are so many sides to everyone's opinions and yeah there's just a lot sitting with people right now and yeah that's the context so while I'm feeling really helpless at the moment I am really excited to go this afternoon I'm attending a book launch for an incredible woman who I've met recently in Ubud Um, her name is Eva Fernandez and she's launching her book titled decolonize your eyes and I signed up for this already before the results of the referendum came out but it feels more important than ever just to be able to take those little steps to 
align myself with the voices that I want to see in the world and just help to foster a deeper understanding of the complexities around colonization and the impacts that that has so even though I feel like this is never enough it feels good to be able to support women like Eva who are trying to foster understanding so check out her book decolonize your eyes she's a beautiful writer and so in terms of the podcast that we'll be sharing today we are talking to Danielle and perhaps a more hopeful story that also takes us through the emergence from the dark times so maybe this is helpful both for me and for you right now to show that sometimes the darkest times are just before the dawn of something better so Danielle has a lot of respect and love also for the land in Australia she's from the US and so I think she's a great person to speak to the perspective of someone who has come from across the seas and been drawn to the incredible unceded lands that I live and work on usually except for now which by the way I'm (laughs) totally acknowledging that there's probably roosters and dogs barking and people downstairs talking that I just am not going to be able to edit out because this is Bali and that's the beauty and the madness of it. But Danielle has gone through a dark night, like I said, which feels like it's becoming a bit of a pattern of the kind of stories that we're sharing on this platform. But she kind of emerged from some really challenging times throughout her teens and 20s Uh, grappling with an eating disorder but also in the breakdown of a relationship and a career that she thought was going to be the thing for her and I can certainly relate to that myself and from there she moved through an incredible journey through Australia living and working among spiritual communities and then into Peru where she worked at an ayahuasca retreat which is where we actually met and we connected right away so We have part one today. It's another two-part story because there is just so much to go into here. In fact, part two still feels like the tip of the iceberg, so I'm sure we'll have Danielle back. She is doing incredible things right now also on YouTube, so please check out her channel. I'll put the link in the show notes. And finally, as I have alluded to briefly here, I do want to issue a content warning as we do discuss her eating disorder if you check in with yourself and you're feeling up to that today please respect where you're at and if you do listen and anything comes up for you that was unexpected in australia you can reach out to lifeline which is a free service and if you're elsewhere in the world please check locally for the guidance that is freely accessible to you Welcome back to the Between Two Worlds podcast. I am very, very excited today because we are dialing in from Bali, actually. I'm in Bali, so please excuse any roosters or ducks that you hear kind of popping in from outside the windows, but I'm dialing into the very far north of the US. We have Danielle joining us, and this is a woman that I met way back Oh, must have been 18 months ago in Peru. She was working at the ayahuasca retreat that I went to. And as soon as I walked through the door, I remember I was so apprehensive, like it's a big thing to do, right? And 
I just, you were sitting down, like I was the first person there, like such a loser and you were sitting down <laughs> eating or something. <laughs> and I, I just like completely exhaled in your presence. Like you were just immediately put me at ease and we connected straight away. So I love that all this time has passed and we're still like in touch and now we're doing this. So welcome to the show, Danielle. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so grateful to be here. I can't believe it's been 18 months. <laughs> that actually kind of blows my mind when you said that. I know. The time goes by so fast. It does. It doesn't. It doesn't. Cause I also feel like I've known you for a really long time. I'm like, what? 18 mm. months. But, but yeah, it is kind of crazy. And like for you, such a whirlwind I'm sure since then like for me as well like so much has happened like when you're working Mm -hmm. in those transformative spaces that length of time can be like the difference you're one person then you're completely another so I can't wait to delve into all of that I also want to say your I've recently delved into your YouTube channel and we'll we'll get to this at the end and you can share with everyone how to how to kind of follow some of your work but you've totally changed my mind on the YouTube front I used to be like (laughs) really (laughs) I was so resistant to I just thought of like cat videos and people getting stuck in like spirals of suggested videos for hours and just like brain dead content but then Mm -hmm. when you started your channel I just started sometimes listening to a random video like before bed or something and I was like oh there's so much wisdom also here like on YouTube and you've totally changed my mind because I remember I shared this with you but the video just like randomly selected a video about decision making what was it about using your intuition to make decisions and I was like oh my god everyone needs to hear this like we are all so confused about how to make decisions and how like what's right and how to feel into like what our gut is telling us and it was just it's so amazing that you're putting it out there so yeah oh thank you you know what's so funny about that is like I can resonate with the opposition to YouTube at first because I was like that before as well and I think it was my own like getting to know certain creators on YouTube that I started to really resonate with and the messaging would hit home so closely when I needed that message. And that was kind of my first spark of like, hmm, maybe this could be something to explore. And then I met a guy through Arcana, Jonas, who has a YouTube channel. And it was like, we talked and it all kind of, you would love him. He's amazing, but it all just kind of like snowballed from there. Uh-huh. So yeah, it's, it's still growing. It's like this little baby channel at this point, uh, but it's really, really fun. And it's amazing. Even in such like beginning stages of it, the people that I've already connected with. So it's really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And it's like when you put your energy and your story out there, I feel like it just attracts the people that needed those messages at that time. And you kind of just have to get out of your own way. And that's what I've had to do with this podcast is like, stop getting in your head about Mm -hmm. who am I to have a voice and be speaking about these topics and then you know like you've already done for me it's like I stumbled across your messages exactly when I needed to hear them so I'm like even though there's a lot of commercial crap going on on YouTube I think somehow the universe has also got into the algorithm too so I'm like we like this and I should clarify for people as well we will be mentioning Arcana probably a bit that is the name of the retreat where we met 
where Danielle was working. Mm. And also I just got a sense then that we should probably, I've noticed from my first few episodes that some of the audience is like a bit earlier on their spiritual journey and they might not just be like, I know what ayahuasca is. So like, do you want to just start by, because it will be some like context that we'll probably keep coming back to. What is ayahuasca? What are we talking about? I love this because it's, I'm the same way. And because I've been in this plant medicine and ayahuasca world for a while now, I sometimes forget that there are like, absolutely. There are people out there who are like, I oh, what? <laughs> what did you just say? So I have to remind myself of that. I was um, at a little cafe this one time and got to talking to this girl and we were talking about ayahuasca and she was like, that's the TikTok drug. I was like, kind of, not quite, but it's fine. <laughs> we can talk about this. So yeah, I am happy to explain. So for anybody who has never heard of it before, and even like for people who have heard of it, we don't always know all the details. So ayahuasca can actually mean a couple different things. Ayahuasca is a vine so it's a vine that's found in the Amazon rainforest. And then there's also ayahuasca, the brew, which is a combination usually of two plants, the ayahuasca vine and the chacruna leaf. And so the combination of these two plants together are actually what make the brew of ayahuasca. And that is what is allowing for these spiritual or transcendental or essentially like kind of out of out of body out of worldly experiences and it depends on the person what that experience is going to be but the active component so what's happening is one of the plants has maoi inhibitors and so the dmt from the other plant is actually able to activate in the brain whereas normally the maois would be stopping the dmt from allowing us to have this kind of transcendental experience so it's kind of wild because the fact that of the like probably hundreds of thousands of plants that are in the Amazon, that they found these two specific plants that just happen to be the ones that need to work together to allow this to happen is like its own wild and amazing story. But the brew itself, the ayahuasca brew is used usually in a couple of the countries around the Amazon. So it's like Peru, Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, Venezuela. And normally it's being used with indigenous shamans who have been working with this medicine like for generations. I mean, it goes farther back than we really truly know. So yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the idea behind it. The shamans used to actually take the medicine themselves, take the brew themselves, and then they would sit with the person who was being healed, and that person wouldn't even necessarily drink the medicine. They would just be there for the healing. But more recently, and like, you know, we're kind of shifting into this world of ayahuasca retreats and all these different things. And so people are actually going and drinking the medicine themselves in the space of you know, being held by shamans and facilitators who are supporting them in that healing work. So I don't know if that clarifies for anyone. If you have any questions, let me know. <laughs> Sometimes I just go a bit off, but yeah, that, that is kind of the basis of ayahuasca. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great starting point. And I'm sure it will become clear to people as we kind of talk through some of the stories, it will become like real for them yeah. about what this can do. 
I just want to add for people that might be more familiar with some of the mainstream media and what they're covering at the moment, it's really around like this psychedelic renaissance and all these like buzzy terms Mm. about mostly, I mean, you might know magic mushrooms, psilocybin, also known as. Um, It's kind of, I mean, it's not the same, but there are some similar properties I mean they act on the serotonin system like there is some similar aspects so if people know about that I guess you could kind of roughly place it in the same class but at the same time like Daniel said there's this like whole traditional use history there is definitely there has been ceremonial use of mushrooms also with their own history Mm -hmm. for, for many many years but in the there is not so much a mainstream use of ayahuasca say at music festivals and stuff like some people do with magic mushrooms so it's like it hasn't been taken so far out of its context into Western leisurely use, I guess is what I'm saying. So let's jump into your story then. I know that we've talked at I- at Ayahuasca, <laughs> at Arcana, we talked a bit about your story <laughs> and I know a bit of your, your background. You know, I was sharing, I was going through like a really raw time of my own when we were there. So you were like really generous in sharing your story. And I wonder if you could kind of take us back to, some of the early experiences that that were kind of a catalyst for the journey that you've since been on of I guess healing and transformation in a spiritual sense but also just in a life sense so what kind of would you say is the earliest catalysts of the journey you've been on oh man this is such an interesting question (laughs) you and I have talked about this behind the scenes right because it's it's really interesting to think about what has been the the catalyst to your own journey mm. in the sense that sometimes there are these key moments that are really, really obvious. And you can just think of them like this when someone asks you. And then oftentimes there's stuff that really is like either deeper back or behind the scenes, or maybe even in the back of your memory to the point where it doesn't come to your conscious awareness immediately when you're asked this kind of question. So I'll give like a little bit of background. I grew up in, I would say like a very kind of normal setting, nothing too crazy that I could remember (laughs) happened when I was younger. My parents got divorced, but I would say that was not something that felt that it affected me too deeply. So that was something that I think may have played a part, but in a very subconscious kind of way. Hmm. And then from the age of about, I think that this is like a big piece of my story and we'll get into more of this later with some of the ayahuasca talk, but from the age of about 14 until like 24, 25. So about 10 years, I did have an eating disorder. I was bulimic for those 10 years. And it's interesting because I wouldn't even necessarily say that this was the catalyst for my journey, but it really did play a big role in how a lot of things played out. And I can look back and see that now. Mm-hmm. So I will just mention that because I think we'll talk about it more. So that was a big chunk of my journey. Thankfully, I have since shifted out of that period of my life mm-hmm. and healed a lot of, of what caused that. But yeah, just to mention that. And then went to college. I went to a university in the States. I studied international business. So it was like super, super, you know, generic going down that (laughs) kind of very stereotypical path. 
I know it's kind of similar in Australia as it is in the States, but there's this expectation oftentimes of like, you go to high school, you go to college or university and you get a job. And then it's like building and building from there. So that was kind of the trajectory that I was on. I, I had a little stint after I graduated from university and I went and lived in Spain for a bit. But after that, I came back to the States and I started working at a marketing agency. And I was at that marketing agency for probably like four or five years. And it's just like, yeah, doing, doing the normal US success kind of thing and got into a relationship. I was in a relationship for about a year and this is the point where it's like the actual defining moment that comes to mind because everything like just all of the shit hit the fan at once (laughs) and it was just like all of the things that could have come crumbling down did so my relationship at the time the guy that I was dating I found out that he had been cheating on me with like many different people so that was a huge hit because it was like yeah right (laughs) it was not just cheating but it was realizing that it had been a just a complete sort of fallacy of a relationship like I believed that it was real and he saw it as something very very different and was yeah like with a lot of different women so I ended up finding this out and so that relationship came crashing down at the same time as my career and this was of my choice to end Mm. the career but it was just realizing how completely out of sync and out of touch with who I was that career like actually was so I made the decision to leave this career that I'd been at the relationship crumbled and at the same time as as the relationship crumbled I actually found out that I was pregnant and so it was like within a week of finding out that he had cheated that I found this out oh my god Yeah. So it was a lot. It was a lot at once. And then it was like making a lot of decisions around, okay, well, what do I do now? (laughs) So that was a huge, huge, hugely defining moment because honestly, it was like, I couldn't be with myself anymore with all of these things happening around me. It was the kind of shock that I needed to make changes that I probably wouldn't have made otherwise. Mm. And so everything ended, like everything happened at the same time. And that was when I made the decision to actually leave and go to Australia. So I sold everything, like I sold all my belongings, I sold my car, I quit my job, this relationship ended and I moved to Australia. And it all went from there. It all like continues from that point. But yeah, that was, that was a hugely defining moment. Oh my God. And how old were you at this point? Like this feels like um, early mid twenties, like you must've been so young. Yeah, I think I was 24. Oh my God. And that interestingly that you said that your eating disorder journey kind of went up until about that Mm. time so where were you at with that when all this is happening I think that it had and the thing that's interesting about anyone who's had an eating disorder will probably understand this as well but when it ends oftentimes it sort of still comes and goes for a Mm. while afterwards Mm -hmm. and so from the point that it like solidly ended 
that was a little bit before all of this happened. And Mm. thankfully from that point on, I really was like, yeah, I still have issues with my body. I, you know, I think even just as women in the Mm -hmm. world that we live in, we are going to oftentimes struggle with that. But thankfully I never engaged in the eating disorder again, like in terms of Mm -hmm. binging and purging and all these different things, that was not something that I ever did again, but it took a long time. I mean, it was probably around the age of like 22 that I really got to the point where I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I need help. I, mm. I don't know how to stop, but I want to stop. And then from like 22 to 24, that kind of two year period was a lot of on and off. Yeah. But, but eventually yeah. it finally. Yeah. Well, it sounds like interestingly coming to this crescendo of all of the life stuff mm. blowing up, you obviously had been readying yourself for some big healing already right like you had been grappling with this out of control nature of your eating disorder and like deciding you wanted it to stop and I wonder how much that was also a catalyst for then having all the other stuff that was no longer serving you and aligned with the career and the relationship also was ready to shed like it's an interesting kind of amalgamation of everything happening at once It really was. And it's interesting looking back on the eating disorder now, because a lot of people, when they talk about eating disorders, it's always this this idea of like, oh, well, it's a control thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that for some people in some situations, like that can be the case, but reflecting back, at least on myself, like I'll never speak for anybody else, but at least for myself, I really believe that it was more a connection disease. Like it was me being so disconnected from myself and so disconnected from my own body, disconnected from something greater than myself, like whatever that might be for someone spiritually. I just really believe that it was a lack of connection in every aspect of my life. And that was what led to the eating disorder. And so it was like all of these things, like you said, kind of coming to to a crescendo which then led me to diving into every aspect of connection that I have in my life now. So it's been a really interesting transition. Yeah. Mm, It's so funny that, yeah, I was, I would have thought like, this is my research hat. It's like a lot of people trace Mm. back eating disorders and OCD type behaviors to that control factor, which is why Mm -hmm. there's usually preceding the onset of something like that. There's usually some other trauma that, encourages someone to seek control over their life because they feel so out mm-hmm. of control and then they do that so it's it's a new angle like that's really interesting and it reminds me of um I don't know if you've ever read the book Lost Connections by Johan Hari Ooh, no but I need to oh it's like summarizes it was such an important read for me it talks about how the root of so much mm-hmm. depression anxiety all this stuff comes back to our lack of connection mm-hmm. and yeah it feels like you're hitting on that same point so all of this happens and you kind of in a way it sounds like you've shattered all your foundations and all like maybe the ego can almost it's been my experience that at the depths of my despair when my ego is so shattered and all the structures have fallen you end up finding sometimes a new beautiful freedom so 
what was that like for you when you decided to move to Australia and what happened from there? Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. That aspect of freedom, because you're at the bottom, (laughs) Mm. there's nowhere else to go. So yeah. And I think that there's two ways to look at this because if I'm being super, super honest with myself, part of me leaving and going to Australia was a form of escape because in that time it was like, I have to get out of all of this. Like I was running away in a sense. And I'm also okay with that because I ended up running into like all of the best things that have ever happened to me in my life. So, you know, I don't necessarily look back and say like that I was consciously stepping into the space of freedom. I think in a way I was, I was running and, and yeah, I really am okay with that at the time that was what was needed. And at the time that was, you know, I'm a firm believer that things happen the way that they're meant to. Like, I really do think that everything happens for a reason. And oftentimes we don't have the perspective to see what is actually happening in that moment. So even though I felt like all of the things were crashing down and it was the worst time of my life, looking back, it's like the best thing that could have ever happened to me. So I mean, even like looking back at this guy, I am super grateful for everything that he did because I don't think that I would have been shaken up enough to change if I hadn't been hit that hard. So it's like, it did, it really like pushed me into this new space of freedom that I wouldn't have stepped into otherwise. So yeah, made my way to Australia. And honestly, my plan originally was travel for a couple months, like maybe six months, just get a little bit of a reset, refresh my mind, reset my energy, and then come back to the States and mm-hmm. like get a new job and just step back into everything again. That, that was the plan. Mm-hmm. And I made my way to Australia. I started doing workaways. I'm not sure if you're familiar. I can't remember yeah. if we've talked about this, but workaways for anybody who's not familiar with them, it's just like an exchange, a work exchange. So you volunteer and in exchange, you get food and accommodation. Great low cost way to travel. Like it's oh, genius. So good. It's so good. And you can find such cool ones. Like you can search based on keywords and stuff. So I would always search yoga or mm. whatever it was, something like that. And you can find really cool places. So I ended up, I lived on a little barge in the middle of the Hawkesbury river for like a oh couple weeks God. with this amazing guy. Yeah, it was so good. And then from there, I landed at a place called Govinda Valley, which is like South of Sydney, about an hour South of Sydney. And it's this yoga retreat slash Hare Krishna community <laughs> and mm-hmm. ashram. And I didn't know anything about that. I, I didn't know anything about Hare Krishna's or Krishna consciousness. And my knowledge of yoga was very superficial, like just practicing yoga in studios in the States, but it wasn't anything deeper than that. Mm. And this just like shifted everything. It really had me dive headfirst into yoga as a lifestyle, yoga as a way of being like the spiritual roots of yoga and Mm. spirituality in general. And just seeing so much beauty in this, you know, I'm not necessarily someone who has ever adhered to any one religion, but it was so beautiful to see 
the beauty that existed within this religion of Krishna consciousness and to learn from that and bhakti yoga. And that space is what sent me on to Krishna village, which was another, I don't know if, if you've ever heard of Krishna village, but it's like an eco yoga community and farm and yoga retreat space in Merwilimba, which is like gold coast. All right. So you scaled the the East coast and yeah. went in search of warmer climbs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Landed at Krishna village and actually ended up living and working at Krishna village for like a year and a half. So I ended up in Australia for two years altogether. Amazing. And I find it really interesting that someone, it's not actually very common that someone from the US comes to Australia as their first thought when they're like going to go on some big, you know, find myself adventure. So I'm curious what drew you, but I'm also like curious what happened for you? Like, can you bring us to some experiences you had there? Did you have any spiritual experiences there? Like in, I'm guessing there was a lot of meditation and things like chanting can really evoke quite altered states. Like, were there any experiences that stand out to you? Oh yeah, for sure. And it's funny because initially (laughs) some of these things were so new and different to me that I was super caught off guard (laughs) to the point where I was like, what have I gotten myself into? Like what kind of wacky place am I in right now? (laughs) That was just my, even though it was just like my judgmental mind, not being in a space that I hadn't experienced before, but I was like, well, I gotten into. So yeah, like a really good example of that is Kirtan. And the first time that I was in a Kirtan, which is, you know, the chanting, uh, singing as a form of meditation, it, yeah, it was so different to me that I thought it was super weird at first. And I almost felt kind Mm. of uncomfortable and, but I kept singing and I was kind of going along with this chanting and at some point it was like the energy shifted and my whole body was vibrating. Like I could literally feel every single part of my body just vibrating with this sound and with this music and chanting. And I've always been a singer, like singing has just been a part of my life forever. So it's funny that I was hesitant to get into this, Mm. but like opened up a realization of just how powerful sound and our own voices are for our healing. So the kirtans have been just so powerful and incredible. And I've continued to experience kirtans even after leaving, you know, some of these spaces. So that was a big one. Um, Even just like learning more about yoga, like I said, learning the actual, the beingness of yoga, like living it rather than just practicing it as a physical practice. Mm. So that was a big thing. And we did these things. So at Govinda Valley, which was the first place that I stayed, we led these sacred circles is what she called them. But it was just, it was like a women's circle, a space to share and express and be open and in a safe space. And that was the first time I'd ever experienced anything like that. Mm. Like, it's so funny to think about now because it's so a part of my experience, but I hadn't, had never lived that before. I had never been in a space where I actually felt safe enough to share the deepest parts of my life and stuff that I had never talked to anybody about before and truly felt like I was in a space of non-judgment and understanding and acceptance. So all of those kind of things really, really opened, opened things up for me. But I think the biggest thing was just the sense of connection. It was 
having people from all over the world, you know, in workways, it's people who travel and connecting with just so many cultures, so many belief systems and backgrounds and incredible people who I would have never connected with otherwise. And that was really the most transformative piece for me, I think. Yeah, I think, I don't know if it's everyone's fantasy, like it is mine, but I'm like, everyone wants to go do that, right? Like everyone wants to go live in a community, like an ashram or something at some point in their life and just like fully immerse themselves well, I guess people that have a spiritual curiosity, like that sounds to me like mm-hmm. the ultimate delicious immersion. And I'm curious, so women's circles, I earmark that in my mind because there's something to them that is so, mm. so useful for, I feel like the early stages of a, a opening to like your truth, like letting out some of the stuff that's been in the closet of your deep down that you kind of have a shed a light on or something when I moved to Portugal I didn't know anyone there and so like I would the yoga studio was like my little home that I would go Mm. to I really connected with my teacher there and had a little community and she ran women's circles and I'd never been to them before and literally I'm someone that I like to talk to people I'm not shy really but going to a women's circle completely caught me off guard I opened my mouth to speak And I just couldn't speak. Mm. I was a blubbering mess. Like I was, my chin was shaking. I was, I think feeling like you, you couldn't wear a mask in there. Like it was so transformative to actually have to sit with the absolute truth of yourself and speak it out loud and be seen and witnessed by other people. It completely broke me open. And yeah, I just feel like, what is it with these women's circles? Nowadays, I don't get the same effect when I go along. I feel like I've got what I need to almost from them, at least for this point in my life. But it's interesting that for you also, like that was the first time you'd been in a space like that and just what it can bring out of you. And it's not even an altered state per se. It's more like the connection thing. It's being witnessed in Mm. absolute raw truth. It's hard to explain. So if you're listening and you haven't been to one of the sounds a bit cuckoo, I just encourage you, there are men, there are men's circles also. It's not just for the gals, but it's really cheap therapy. And I mean, I wouldn't advise you to treat it like therapy. Like if you need to go and speak to someone one-on-one and be held in that really safe one-on-one container, please do that also. But it's like a very effective way to cut through some of the crap, I think. Yeah. So that's really cool that you found that there. And then what was it? I'm curious about some of the the less fabulous and shiny sides about this life also, because I'm just thinking this sounds like my dream. Like, why aren't we all doing this? What were some of the challenges? Because I know that, well, A, living in spiritual commune type things, not that it was a commune, but you know what I mean? They can, mm-hmm. they can be these own power and political things going on there, but also transitioning back into life outside of there like what's that like it's so funny actually that you asked that because (laughs) so specifically at Krishna village which was the second one that I stayed at like I said I was there for about a year and a half so I was there for a really good chunk of time Mm. and most people who most people who pass through as volunteers stay for a month like maybe three months tops But one thing that people would always say as they were leaving Krishna village and kind of going back is like, I don't know how I'm going to go back into the real world. That was Mm. always what people would say. 
how am I going to be in the real world after this? Like, I don't know how to reintegrate. And yeah, so it's just funny because it is an experience that people have when they've been in a setting like this, that is so deeply connected, so open, so kind of free and you're living so close to the land and you're eating all this super nourishing food. And, and it's funny because obviously like real world, it's all the real world, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I, I get it and I have felt it. It can be super, super challenging to transition back and suddenly be in a space where just people are thinking about different things or they're not thinking about certain Mm. things or the communication is, is really different. The, the openness to vulnerability might not be as common or yeah, it's like the conversations you've been used to having, you might not be able to go home and like have with your friend who you've been friends with for 10 years. Like it's just Mm. so, so interesting. Uh, So that can be challenging. And I think that that's where it is super, super important to keep and maintain these connections with the people that you've kind of met along the way, because that can be really supportive. And then like, what was, what was your question? I don't know. Just like how, yeah, it's more, I'm, I guess like I always come back to this transitional phase. Like I always like to bring two sides (laughs) of the transformation story. Like, yeah, there's all this light and great stuff. And I really want to talk about that, but then I also want Mm -hmm. to create a balanced view of what it is like to go pursuing this spiritual Mm. lifestyle. Like, you know, I do the same thing and I'm like, it's not Mm -hmm. all easy. It's hard. There's things like you say, where you're suddenly experiencing a different reality to some of the people that you've been close with for so many years and like how do you then go back and reconnect and like you say it's funny I always use air quotes when we say real world because I'm like it's just the dominant agreed reality right but yeah like I just want to show that they're at both sides yeah so one thing that just like comes to mind that came to mind when you were kind of re-asking this question is I think challenge of this life and it can be so profound and so beautiful. And I think it's a beautiful path to walk through like on the journey, but I think it's a really fine line in terms of people getting stuck in this kind of space. And if that is, if that is like your lifestyle choice, by all means, go for it. That's amazing. However, I, I saw this a lot where people do kind of get stuck in this, like this spiritual seeking and kind of bouncing from place to place, looking for the answers or seeking the connection, but they're never able to sit with it and be present and then take it and integrate and continue to grow from that point. A lot of people just get caught up in the searching and then they can't be in the real world. Right. So Mm -hmm. I think that that is something that I see in, I mean, for sure in plant medicine spaces, like with ayahuasca and some of these things, but even outside of the plant medicine space and just within spirituality or within traveling is yeah, people kind of getting, getting stuck and it's this never ending cycle. Mm -hmm. So that's something really interesting that I, that I saw a lot actually. Um, and then also just so caught up in the spiritual side of things that it's hard to be grounded. It's, it's hard to actually live in the world and and yeah, be present and be grounded because you're always up here. Yeah. 
yeah that's a Mm -hmm. constant rebalancing for me of like I'm always drawn to such esoteric things and I'm like okay and now I need to be here be present think about tasks I need to do and just like just ground myself in the sense of today what's needed and yeah I definitely feel that I think spiritual bypassing is the term they use about that kind of hungry searching for peak experiences and just like only going after the peak experience repeatedly without that integration in between for myself in between plant medicine experiences or other breath work or other transformative type altered state work I live months at least like a long time because I'm like unless I've made some change in my life based on what I learned what insight I gained I'm not ready to take on more I'm not just gonna stockpile myself full greedily of all this insight if I'm not willing to what am I doing with that what am I implementing so yeah like I I hear you and it is a constant struggle there because I'm like I would love to just play in that like blissful bhakti it's like there's this beautiful energy when you're in a groove and you're singing and you're it's electric and then how do I go back to Mm -hmm. just replying to email you know (laughs) yeah exactly yeah so what then made you leave what felt like the push out of this chapter and into what you did next actually it's funny because this one is just like super transparent and blunt it's that my visa ended so (laughs) I had a two-year visa I had a two-year visa in Australia. It was the working holiday visa. And so I had done one year and then I had done a couple months of work to get the second year visa. But past the second year visa, when it comes, at least when I was there, I think now there might even be a third year. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure about that. But when I was there, it was kind of two and you're done Mm -hmm. type of thing. Unless you maybe get like sponsored by like a job or something like that. But yeah, I had, I had my two years and so it was time for me to go. But interestingly enough, it kind of felt like the right time. Also, I was super, I was super sad to leave because I loved it there. And I had made so many incredible connections Mm -hmm. and friendships and it also felt like time. Mm -hmm. It was just, I don't even know exactly what it was, but something inside of me was really saying like, it is time to take these next steps. It's time to move on. So it worked out in terms of the timing. So went back to the States and I will say this, it really worked out actually, because I ended up going back to the States right when COVID hit. Oh my <laughs> so, God. Yeah. I'm so happy for you that you got out of, I mean, nowhere yeah. was nice to be, I'm sure. But like Australia, you've probably seen was like Armageddon. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Seriously. That's what's so crazy. Yeah. It was wild in Australia. Yeah. I mean, if you're at somewhere like Krishna Village, you probably would have actually had a better time of it. But then I I don't know, they would have all yeah. shut down. And yeah, so so that's an interesting time in history to be making a big life change again, though, right? So you've gone back to the States. <laughs> yeah. And what's your intention? Is it to go back into the marketing world? What were you? Surely you can't go back and now. <laughs> I have a tendency to make really big life changes, having absolutely no idea what comes next. So <laughs> that's just part of my part of my trajectory. Uh, but it's that's honestly true. Like I was leaving Australia, and I really didn't know what was going to come next. I was very much just trusting the process. 
months. It's actually really, really funny because I will never forget. And I've looked back, I've read in my journal, like since this has happened, <laughs> but I remember at the end, uh, I guess it, what would it, it would have been the end of 2019, right? Cause COVID was in 2020. I always do this kind of big journaling practice at the end of the year to deep dive into everything that I have experienced and kind of reflect and all these different things. And I remember at the end of the, just like the end of what I was writing being like, I just have such a feeling like this year is going to be so amazing. So many things are going to happen. And then it was like COVID. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. How's, how's your prophecy skills? Yeah. Well, it was a lot happening. So yeah, but it was just really funny. It worked out though, in the sense, and sometimes I feel a bit um, guilty, even saying this because I know how challenging COVID was for so many people in terms of obviously like any, anyone who actually dealt with having COVID themselves, family members, but also like the mental health aspects of being in quarantine and all these different things. So yeah, it's, there's a bit of guilt in the sense that I actually was very privileged and very blessed to have had a, a smooth experience in in the time that we were in lockdown, because I kind of needed that space and that time. I mean, it had been two years of nonstop connection to people all the time. And my job at this yoga retreat was kind of like the go-to person. So I was connecting with everyone. If somebody needed help, I was the person to talk to. And it was just constant connection. So ironically, I was kind of ready for a space of isolation. Mm. So lockdown for me was very therapeutic. It was like, I'm just going to focus on my practice and integrate the past two years and what I've experienced and a lot of meditation, a lot of just time to reflect and be with myself. And I actually really enjoyed it. <laughs> mm, that's okay to say. Yeah. I think that there is yeah. space for those stories about that time because there's plenty of mm -hmm. content about how bad it was like we all know that we yeah we get it but it's nice to balance that with stories of where this isolation was needed I I literally spoke to I had coffee with a couple of women yesterday here in Bali and we talked about the same thing like they were showing some gratitude for the time and I know that it's a complex oh. thing to say like you say you're conscious putting this out there you know in a, on a podcast or something and being conscious that others didn't have easeful experiences but it's okay to admit that for you that gave you something useful mm. so what did what did that bring you then because from my understanding it wasn't too long after that that you went to Costa Rica which we'll get to so did that kind of time to be in touch with your intuition and your sense of what you needed to do next. Mm -hmm. Is that what kind of brought you to Costa Rica? What happened there? Definitely. And I will say, so to rewind a little bit in terms of then leading into this ayahuasca journey, I, ayahuasca kept popping up for me just in conversation when I was in Australia. So that was when mm -hmm. it was first kind of introduced to me just conceptually of like, what is this mm -hmm. ayahuasca? So I have friends who had gone on their own journeys and experiences and it, yeah, it just kept popping up in conversation. So I had started to really think about it. Like the seed had been planted, uh, but mm -hmm. then the time, the timing was never right. 
And so, yeah, it was really in this space of the kind of COVID lockdown and a lot of reflection that I realized it was time for this kind of next step in the healing journey. And it just felt, it just really, really felt like the right time. Like people will say that you get a calling towards ayahuasca. And I think Mm -hmm. that definitely is what happened to me. And often it does take years. Like there are people who the seed is planted and they hear about it and then it's years until they have the actual experience. So yeah, it was in that time where I realized that I wanted to go and, and be at an ayahuasca retreat. And there happens to be, it's, it's actually funny. It like goes full circle back to us talking about YouTube at the start of this conversation, but there was a YouTuber who I really appreciated his content And all of a sudden he was talking about the fact that he was going to be hosting with a couple friends, uh, an ayahuasca retreat in Costa Rica. And it was in, what was it? It was like November of 2020. So it was right when lockdown, like the second that lockdown ended, it was like, boom, going to Costa Rica. (laughs) So yeah, you really like exploded out of your little like nest that you built and like right back into the world. Mm -hmm. I feel yeah. like our lockdown was in no way ending in November. I can't believe you did anything in 2020. Like that blows my mind. I know it is kind of actually. <laughs> and you know, what's crazy is you go to Costa Rica and it was like, nothing was happening. So it's just so interesting yeah. to be in different countries. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I made it out just in time. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so happy for you. Um, Listen, I feel like this is actually a really neat time. If we want to create a part two where we go into this next Mm. chapter in ayahuasca so would you be happy if we kind of left things here for the audience and tune in for part two where we'll go into what then unfolded for you because this is big right this is like been so much of your journey of the last few years I think we have so much to go into so does that sound like a good plan love it we'll be in touch next time on the between two worlds podcast bye for now goodbye Yoo-hoo. Just one more thing from me before you head off today. I would love to ask that you pass this episode on to just one person who you think might benefit from hearing it. If you've benefited from it also, if you could follow the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Ratings and reviews are definitely the currency of this game and Being over here in Ubud, I am reminded of the beautiful reciprocity that I see around me here amongst not only the locals, but also other entrepreneurs here. And I see a lot of people, including myself, putting a lot of effort into podcasts and sharing stories. And it is no easy feat and there is no money involved. And it would just be really great to try and get this message as far as it needs to go by doing those little things that help these gross kind of algorithms get the message out there. So if you could do that, just one action is really appreciated. Sending lots of love and we'll be back really soon with part two of this episode. Oh.